0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's Dawn Chitty from the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. Is your soul screaming at you? Sometimes life moves so far from the life we were born for. There's so much expectation from friends and family about who we need to be to be acceptable, to be loved. There is so much judgment, there is so much fear. Do you find yourself in the routine of living an okay life, fitting in and doing all the right things and yet never really feeling it, never feeling into the awesome life you were born for? If you answered yes, I want to invite you to my brand new free group where I'll be jumping on live a couple of times a week to chat about all the things you need to know about living in your power, living in your truth. The link for the group is in the show notes, so please come and join me. You didn't come here to live your most average life. You came here to live your most magical life.
1: When you grow up in an environment that's chaotic or unpredictable, uh, your nervous system is in this constant state of hypervigilance and So children who grew up in that kind of environment find that they're more prone to things like social anxiety or just anxiety in general. And sometimes it can feel safer to just be alone by yourself.
0: Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect Souls And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life, please take a look at Panic Away. For over 10 years now, Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug free and highly successful and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hey beautiful souls, so great to have you here with me today. Katie Gillis is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who specializes in working with survivors of family trauma, family dysfunction and abuse. This week, Katie shares some of her own story as a parentified child and how deeply that affected her own life. And then we also discussed the 10 ways our childhood trauma can show up in our adult relationships. There are some great insights here into the reasons we behave the way we do in our closest relationships because of our childhood conditioning. So please join me now for my chat with Katie. Katie, welcome to the podcast. You are a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist, and you specialize in working with survivors of family trauma, family dysfunction and abuse. You have released a book called Invisible Bruises, which I will ask you about a bit later. And you are Clara's voice on Instagram, raising awareness around family relationship trauma. Can we start off by finding out a little bit about your own childhood and how that has affected you as an adult? So for me, my childhood was something that I didn't really you know,
1: realize was as traumatic and dysfunctional as it was until... Really, probably my my thirties, which I think is probably common for people. But then I really started taking a look at like why am I having these patterns and in, in relationships, and not only romantic relationships, but friendships or, or things like that. Or why you know why do I have these mental health concerns? And so I really start taking a look at my own childhood and like what kind of stuff went on with my family of origin and my caregivers and what did those relationships look like? And
0: you know, are there any patterns? And of course, there were. <laughs> so so you describe being a parentified child can yeah. you can you explain a bit about that so I was
1: definitely a like a surrogate spouse you know the that's a term we definitely use because my my parents didn't have the best relationship at all and and some of it you know some of it was the time I mean it was the 80s like people didn't talk about relationships and stuff like that and so I don't think it was as normalized as it is now to do things like couples therapy or even to, to do awareness on your own child wounds and things like that. But I was definitely a, a surrogate spouse. My parents didn't have the, the best relationship. And so I kind of became that like stand in, you know, my mom's like, you know, best friend, confident kind of thing. And my brother was probably more with my dad. So it was like a, a divide almost of like a, you know, us against them kind of, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, right. And so yeah. how, do, how does that play out for a child every day? What, what's expected of you in
1: that role? So it's a lot of like caregiving, like emotional caregiving, a lot of, you know, expectations around being there for them when they're having, you know, any kind of, if they're upset, mental health concerns, a lot of like problem solving you know, and I still get that feeling now, like if I get a phone call, oh, the water heater is broken. I have this, you know, this panic of like, I have to solve this problem. And I have to remind myself like, Katie, you know, you're 35, like it's no longer your problem, but it definitely is like that panic of like, oh no, this is a problem I now have to solve. And just because it was things like that, it was, you know, usually when you have a partner, you go to your partner and you say, oh, hi, lawnmower's broken, what should we do? That kind of thing is two adults will kind of solve the problems of the house without involving the children. But instead, as a parentified child, it was more of, you know, I, I was the one who was kind of vented to, or I was the one who knew. And that's a lot of responsibility for a child to put on them. Because, you know, as an adult, we can kind of compartmentalize and say, oh, it's unfortunate that we have that problem, but we're going to be okay. As a child, it's like a, you know it's like an imminent harm like an imminent impending doom feeling you know if all oh, the lawnmower's broken what are we going to do if we can't mow the lawn I mean kids kind of catastrophize that Well, the grass will grow up over the house and we'll be trapped I mean because like, little kids they don't really know how to really compartmentalize that so it was
0: definitely a lot of anxiety provoking yeah moments that. yeah I was going to say so it must really affect the nervous system of the child as they're growing mm-hmm. up and then I suppose you keep that high alert nervous system going into adulthood is is that how it goes yeah for sure and that was a big
1: thing for me was I started realizing like why am I always hyper vigilant why do I have this heightened sense of anxiety and this constant you know alert constant activation of my system and I started looking at where should the, the triggers that come from like that oh no this is a problem I have to solve
0: kind of thing absolutely and so how did that relationship with your parents how did that play out as a teen so because
1: I was parentified it was almost like mom was a peer instead of parent except when she wanted to use being a parent to her advantage so you know when push came to shove so to speak if there was something she wanted or wanted me to do she would pull that card of well i'm your mom and you have you have to do it however the rest of the time it was like we were peers which always put me in an uncomfortable position because you know there were times when as a teenager like you need an adult i mean teens like they think that they're adults <laughs> and i remember being a teen and thinking i knew everything but you don't and you know you need like that higher authority that that adult to say no you know this this is what we're going to do or this is the safe decision or or things like that and I just didn't have I kind of raised myself with with a lot of stuff like that I didn't know what was a healthy decision
0: with relationships I kind of just made those decisions myself usually and I guess it's hard when your parents don't really have a good idea of what a a good relationship looks like isn't it to mm-hmm. to actually figure that out for yourself
1: yeah i didn't have a good model you know for sure of what mm. a healthy
0: relationship would look like for yeah. sure yeah and i'm sure that's the same for so many kids yeah. growing up so the trauma that we go through as kids can have a huge impact on our future relationships what are the three main areas of childhood development that get disrupted from childhood trauma
1: So early childhood, which is about birth to like age six or eight, maybe like early elementary school, Um, middle childhood, which is about like elementary school, maybe six, six to 10, six to 12, and then adolescence, you know, 12, 13 up. And I like to extend adolescence because we have an idea in our, in our culture, in our society. That's like, if someone is. You know, 17 and 364 days they're a kid but the second day midnight <laughs> clock strikes 12 and midnight on the 18th all of a sudden they're an adult and it doesn't work like that so I, I like to say I mean upwards to early 20s is you still are affected by a lot of the traumas and stuff in your family of origin it's just affected you know differently as you get older
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point, isn't it? That you just, Mm -hmm. we do think that we do think, oh, we do. (laughs) Now you've just turned 18 and you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, so, so the three uh, main areas I've got here are uh, our sense of self, the way we communicate and how we form relationships.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, our sense of self is something that's developed from since, since we're born, since we're toddlers, babies, young people, we're really developing our sense of our sense of self and our sense of who we are in the world and attachment is formed then. And so if you don't have that secure attachment with a caregiver, then that can affect your sense of self affect your whole sense of security, you know, as a human and as a living being on the earth. And, and then things like decision-making healthy relationships and decision-making, of course, is always age-appropriate. So a decision for a five-year-old is how to eat healthy, that kind of stuff, or what to eat or what not to eat, how to assert yourself appropriately. That's going to be different than a 15-year-old, but it's still that same thing. Of even though it's age-appropriate, you're still learning decision-making. You're still learning healthy relationships. You're still learning that that a sense of attachment that's
0: reinforced throughout your childhood or throughout those stages. Yeah so there are 10 ways that our childhood trauma shows up in our adult relationships and I'd love it if we could speak to each of these as it's going to give everyone a really great insight into the ways that these traumas might still be affecting them in their lives so I'll just go through them one by one and we'll just talk about each one how they originate in our childhood and then how they show up for us As adults so the first one is a fear of abandonment Mm. how does that start for a child so it goes back to that attachment you know when when children are
1: growing up they learn okay this is a secure place for me to come back to and coming back doesn't necessarily just mean physically I mean even emotionally like knowing this person is going to be here it's a secure base so to speak And so what ends up happening is if that's not consistent, maybe the caregiver has mental health concerns or they have their own stuff in their personal life. And that's extending for a long time. Sometimes drugs and alcohol, sometimes if they're just not there, literally not there, maybe they're incarcerated or something happened. Children will develop this like fear of abandonment and it manifests in relationships where you'll see people who are maybe scared to to be abandoned again. And this is all something that happens really subconsciously. It's not, sometimes people are aware of of that fear, but a lot of times it's something where, you know, we we act in a way that prevents the person from leaving us or prevents us from being left. And for some people, that means making sure that you leave the relationship before the other person. And for other people, it means that we worry that they're going to leave. And it just becomes like an all-encompassing,
0: fear for us so the second one is getting easily annoyed with others so i i find that whenever
1: people get easily annoyed that there's some trauma wounds being triggered there and we all get annoyed with some things that's just human behavior but if you find that you're very annoyed maybe with your partner or just with everyone all the time There's some there's some stuff going on there. There's some trauma wounds going on. That's from when we were we were growing up and we were like frequently criticized or we were growing up and maybe everything was wrong or nothing was good enough. And so a lot of times you'll see people exhibit those same type of behaviors towards their partner where they learn that that's an appropriate way to conduct a relationship is to criticize or to have things that are wrong. And because if we feel like we had to be perfect or we feel like we never were good enough, then we sometimes project that
0: onto the partner. Okay, so the next one is needing a lot of space or time to yourself. So,
1: this one is because when when you grow up in an environment that's chaotic or unpredictable, uh, your nervous system is in this constant state of hypervigilance. And so, children who grew up in that kind of environment find that they're more prone to things like social anxiety or just anxiety in general. And sometimes it can feel safer to just be alone by yourself. And I always want to give the disclaimer that there many of us need varying amounts of time to ourselves. Like there are some people who are just maybe they just are predisposed to to wanting more time to themselves. And some people get their energy um, from being with other people and that's normal. I'm talking about where people feel just kind of more overwhelmed with with people, you know, and and needing a lot of time to really just kind of decompress from that.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's the nervous system again, isn't it? It's just feeling overwhelmed and all the stimulation or the expectation of being around other people, I guess, all the time kind of overstimulates our nervous system. And we just don't want to do that. We just, we just pull away from that energy, I guess.
1: Yeah, it can start to get overwhelming, especially, you know, when you find that you have like that feeling of, oh, I have to do this thing today. And it's just overwhelming. And you know, you're going to be with a lot of people and then you need hours more than your partner to calm, calm down from that. That's usually a sign. And not all the time. Some people, some people are just you know, more sensitive to stuff like that. But I, I find that it's very common with child trauma
0: survivors who had
1: a very hectic
0: upbringing. Yeah. And so the next one is having unequal responsibilities within a relationship. So... This one comes from if if you had to
1: have more responsibility growing up than you should have at that age. Like if you were parentified child or if you maybe you had the loss of a parent and you had to step up and take care of your younger siblings. A lot of times you'll see people who have that sense of responsibility that's more than average. It's almost like you're you know, you're feeling more responsible for for the household than you should. And then the, the opposite is also true. If you feel like you want to be taken care of, you know, like you're unable to, co- to contribute and, and you're kind of relying on the other person to be working too much to take care of the household. And that's something that, you know, it comes from that trauma wound as well.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Yeah. And so how does that show up as adults in our relationship? So usually you'll see things like if
1: one person is working two or three jobs and carrying the the brunt of the finances and things like that, and then coming home and doing things like childcare or cleaning the home or things like that, because I always want to say, you know, taking care of a household is more than just the bills. I mean, if you're taking care of the children, you're taking care of the house. And that's something that, you know, the two of you have discussed as what would be an equitable role, then that's fine. This is about where, you know, you're not lifting a finger and the other person is doing everything or the opposite is true. You're, you're doing everything and you feel like it's your burden to bear, your responsibility to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah and settling and staying in relationships much longer than their expiry date I
1: find that this goes back to that fear of abandonment you know we're so scared that we're going to be alone so staying with someone who isn't good for us is better than being alone and so you'll see people stay for a long time in relationships that they're kind of settling and maybe in hindsight they know that they're settling and maybe in the moment they know that they're settling but it, it's definitely that fear of, at least I'm not alone. At least, yeah. at least I have someone who feels safer than being alone.
0: Yeah, right. Constant arguing or fighting in relationships. So
1: that comes from
0: not knowing how to have a constructive
1: um, communication or constructive arguments. Because children who grow up with chaotic or traumatic households for the parents who either fought constantly or the opposite, they avoided any kind of communication. You'll see that children, they didn't learn how to have conflict. They didn't learn the boundaries and the communication that come with having healthy conflict because conflict is inevitable in our life. And so you'll see, you'll start to see it in kids, you know, even with adolescents that they don't know how to have conflict in a healthy way. And And some people say, well, what adolescent has conflict in a healthy way, which is true, but you'll see these behaviors come out where it's like the the amount of anger doesn't fit the the event that happened, or they don't know how to repair
0: after the argument. That's very common. It's like just cutting people off. And not knowing how to repair relationships after a fight. Mm -hmm. Because when we don't know how to have productive or healthy management of
1: conflict, that's usually when that comes up that people don't know how to repair. So in working with couples, I'll see some couples where they'll just kind of pretend it didn't happen. And that's a behavior that was learned maybe from their caregivers that they just, they fought about it. And then that's it. The next day they don't talk about it and pretend it doesn't happen. Or you'll see it, it just, the fight goes on and on and on and on. Cause they don't know how to say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take some, you take some and we'll just move on from here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Serial monogamy. Can you actually explain serial monogamy?
1: So serial monogamy is when you go from one serious relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. And we, we call it serial monogamy where it's constant serious relationships again and again. And in theory, that doesn't necessarily sound bad. But what I mean is people who are like afraid (laughs) of being alone. So you're with, this person is the one, and then you're with someone else and they're the one. And then the next person you're sure it's the one. And, and you, you know, I have a, an older brother, we kind of joke like that, like every woman he meets is the one. And it's, it's kind of a family joke, but at the end of the day, you know, it comes from somewhere. I mean, he's trying to get that sense of, of security and that sense of, you know, love that wasn't there and the affection that they did not get in childhood.
0: Yeah, right. So just always looking for the love. Mm-hmm. Being fearful of committing to or avoiding relationships altogether. So that one sometimes is
1: definitely due to that that attachment that didn't happen. A lot of times it has to do with being like fearful of getting hurt again. So you'll see people who they don't want to have that same thing happen to them whether they were abandoned or if they experienced some kind of pain in in a childhood relationship with a caregiver then you'll see a lot of people who have those behaviors of being fearful of actually getting into a relationship and because if you avoid settling down it can feel safer because
0: you're not getting too close to people yeah right and trying to change your partner so that comes from when Children
1: are powerless to change their caregivers. You know, we're stuck with what we had and, but there are things about our caregivers that trigger us and that bother us. So when we see those same things in our partner, it's like almost a subconscious motive to try to change that because if we could change that in them. Then there's a part of us that feels like, oh, well, we could change that. You know, we could fix that. And then we're fixing the part of
0: us that was hurt by our caregiver. Okay. So... How possible is it for us to change these behavior patterns?
1: So it's very possible. I, I always say to people you know learning is something that is across the lifespan. I feel like it does get easier when you get out of the house because if you're still living at home with your caregivers, it's really hard to take an honest look at the behavior patterns because you're you're immersed in it. And so it can even be, you know, when I work with adolescents, you know, it can even be unsafe for them to realize how dysfunctional their family is. So sometimes it's a defense mechanism to intellectualize it or deny it until they get out of the home. And really it isn't until you've been out of the home for a little while before you can start to realize, you know, what had happened, what was dysfunctional. And then, and I always, I always tell people, yeah, you you can change them. It, it takes time and it takes effort and it takes self-awareness and dedication
0: but it's possible so what sort of tools can people use to to change those patterns so I always recommend support
1: system and what I mean by that not everyone has to run out and get a therapist you know I of course I'm a therapist so I'm gonna give that plug but it's not like it's the end-all be-all I mean some people have really good success with mental health coach or a life coach or through their spirituality, um, through support groups and things like that. When you're working with trauma, it does help to have some kind of mental health support for the stuff that does come up. I always recommend things like journaling and anything that will help you increase self-awareness. Anything that you really like to do. There are some people who all they do are listen to podcasts and that's great for them. There's some people all they do are read books and that's great for them. And there's no one thing that's better than the other, but whatever you do, whatever you like, do that thing. So whatever makes you feel validated, whatever helps you increase your self-awareness. So a lot of times things like self-help books, reading a lot about yourself, and whenever you read those things that make you say, oh, I thought I was the only one, like that's the type of stuff,
0: you know, read that stuff. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Just having self-awareness, self-reflection, is so important because when we're not doing that when we're just not moving forward and I see a lot of people Mm -hmm. stuck just Mm -hmm. in the past they're just so stuck where they are because they just can't see any other way and the only way Mm -hmm. we can can see another way is by learning isn't it and Mm -hmm. we it's almost like a journey that we have to take ourselves yes we can get a therapist and we can get help but You've really got to drive that change for yourself. You've really got to want to look at things. You've got to want to reflect on what's happening because otherwise it's just like this sort of mess of stuff happening around you Mm -hmm. and you just don't know why it's happening. I've been through this myself. And for years, it was just this sort of, oh, I don't know, like everything's just not great. But Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, when you really start paying attention and giving yourself, that love enough to actually do that for yourself because I think we're all so consumed with getting through our day doing all the things we're meant to do we don't actually stop and say what do I need Mm -hmm. what do I actually need so it's really it really is just giving yourself some time and supporting yourself and actually looking at the things that you need to change and, and doing something positive in that direction because otherwise you do just stay stuck yeah
1: you get kind of stagnant and because as humans I think we're programmed to have that homeostasis that comes with you know we, we survived trauma and we go to what feels normal and so if we're having a lot of conflict in our relationship that mimics conflict that we had in childhood that can feel normal even though to an outsider they'd be like why why would you stay in that well Sometimes we don't know it's dysfunctional. Sometimes it feels normal, and sometimes when you grow up in a lot of chaos and a chaotic environment, when you get out of that environment, that can feel weird. It's kind of like people who grew up in a chaotic environment. You know, they always say a lot of times they'll say things like, "Oh, I work really well in like a high conflict setting. Like I, I work really well in like an ER setting. You know, where there's constant crises and and things like that. But if it's a Day to day kind of desk job, I find myself I get restless and bored. That's a very common thing. However, some child survivors are the opposite, where any of that chaos reminds them of the chaos that they grew up in, and
0: they avoid it. Ah, interesting. I hadn't really Mm -hmm. thought about people wanting to work in chaotic environments because that's Mm -hmm. what they're used to as well. Yeah, interesting. And I guess we do. We, you know, we do perpetuate that in our relationships, don't we? If we grow Mm -hmm. up in chaos. We just perpetuate that and we don't even know we're doing it. It's just so normal. Mm -hmm. So Katie, I mentioned before you have a book called Invisible Bruises. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So Invisible Bruises is about the
1: non-physical impacts of domestic violence. And that's why I call them invisible bruises, because to observers, it looks like you haven't had any kind of bruises. You know, your bruises are invisible. So it's about navigating the legal system when you've had domestic violence, um, family violence, relationship violence that is largely non physical. It's navigating the stuff that comes up for trauma survivors as they're going through the, the legal system. So things like not being believed, things like the, a lot of child survivors, trauma survivors have that, it's almost like a persecutory feeling of like, oh, I'm in trouble again. How do I get out of this? So what should I do? I, I, I'm not going to be believed or that kind of thing. And it brings up all of that, especially for children who grew up in chaotic or dysfunctional environments where there was not physical abuse, because it's easier to recognize so if you're a child who grew up who had physical abuse and not to any way downplay physical abuse anyway but children who grew up in that it's it's easier because it's a more black and white issue so to speak so it's easier to say okay yes I, I had physical abuse I was abused however it takes longer for them to realize when they grew up with like psychological abuse or emotional abuse or things like that or other forms of dysfunction that weren't really recognized and still really aren't recognized a lot so a lot of times trauma survivors who are then going through a relationship where there's you know, abuse or domestic violence in the relationship, it can bring up a lot of stuff that they experienced as a child. A lot of those similar feelings, because as a child, you're powerless to get out of it because you're a child. But as an adult, you are not powerless to get out of it. However, it feels like you're powerless to get out of it because you're back to like that inner child. You're back to that child mentality of I'm stuck cowering in my room and I can't leave. And as an adult, we go back there. So I talk about that. I talk about kind of navigating the legal system, but also just navigating the the stuff that comes up for survivors in relationships. So when you say the legal system. Applying for a protection order. In my book, I focus a lot on people who are applying for a protection order, maybe going through like child
0: custody, divorce, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a very useful tool for people because it must be overwhelming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot of clients who have had to go through things like child custody or divorce or things like that. And, and I know the term is called high conflict divorce. And I find that if if it's a high conflict divorce, that there's something that's going on. You know, there's sometimes there's you know, mental illness, personality disorder, both. But what ends up happening is both members of the party get blamed as the legal system sees it as you know kind of tip for tat and it's not and you know it's not always sometimes it is but it's it's definitely not always and so it is a way for trauma survivors to kind of like use their inner tools and to navigate that
0: sounds awesome so katie we met on instagram and you have a page called clara's voice can you tell us the meaning behind the name clara's voice So Clara
1: is my great grandmother, and I'm actually named after her. And she raised my mom. My mom was not raised by her biological mom. So she raised my mom and my mom and her experienced a lot of domestic violence within the home. And of course, a lot of it was largely non-physical, but a lot of it was physical. It was kind of like all, all of the different things. And because of the time, it was you know, 40s, 50s, my mom, of course, was a child and and her grandmother, my great grandmother, Clara could not speak up. And just because they were an Irish Catholic family living in Boston, and she was a woman and it was the 40s and 50s. They just, there were no laws. You didn't call the police back then for things like that. You didn't go outside the home. What happened inside the home stayed in the home. So she didn't have a voice to talk about what she had experienced. So I named it after her as a legacy for her to be her voice and to the voice of so many people who can't speak up because of the time or their culture, their religion, their gender, their faith,
0: or the people who maybe they aren't ready to speak up yet. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's so true, isn't it? I mean, we have come so far from those times where it was almost like, well, if that was happening, that was just your life. There was absolutely... Mm -hmm no outlet for that whatsoever
1: especially for women and children
0: back oh then. yeah hundred percent and of course it's still like that for many people yeah. today but at least we're starting to move in the right direction by having these sorts of conversations and bringing awareness sure. and so katie thank you so much For chatting to me today it's been so informative thank you for sharing some of your story and all of your wisdom and it was been great to connect with you thank you so much Mm -hmm. thank you so much for having me it's a very important topic thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me if you listen on apple i would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast it would mean a lot Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at mybigloveproject and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.